Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? <clears throat> Hope you're getting through the week well. Uh, got a great show planned for you. As always, DMs open. The DMs are wide open. You got a DM for us. Trapping the DMs on our Loveline at G page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, are, is over at wearechannelq.com. Oh my gosh, so much going on, always so much going on, but uh, we got your back. We're going to be talking about motherhood, yes, yes, and uh, roles and parenting, definitely some good stuff. We're going to be getting to that in a little bit, but I uh, just want to talk about some stuff we're seeing going on out in the world. Um, <clears throat> like I said, it's never, 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 ever, ever dull. Uh, I think it was about a week and a half ago, and I was watching this trend kind of build. There was a lot of movement around teachers wearing dresses in the UK into the classroom, and that was born out of um, a student who was not only shamed for wearing a dress, he was uh, expelled, which is quite an extreme reaction. We saw an individual getting sent home and suspended for wearing nail polish, who was male, now someone wearing a dress, and they were also sent to uh, the psychologist, who definitely was not getting this kid's back. Just remember, uh, fabric is fabric. Fabric is not gendered. We have placed gendered roles upon these fabrics and these styles. That's not a real thing. That is a social construction. and. We never created garments and the fashion industry as a tool to be weaponized to keep people in line in terms of their gender expression. Like that's not the purpose, that's such a misuse. And mental health is the ability to occupy space in the world in whichever way feels best to us, which whatever defining terms or labels. And I was so excited to see, and I like that it got momentum, all the teachers in that school and other schools, um, did I say UK, I'm sorry, this was in Spain, um, wearing dresses to school. Other male teachers, I think that's beautiful. And they were calling it the clothes has no gender movement. Um, hashtag clothes, has, clothes have no gender. It was in Spanish because they're from Spain. Um, I think that's phenomenal. So uh, this is two teachers that got that movement going. I think it's really beautiful. And I love this. They're saying it's just the tip of the iceberg, adding that real change begins with the entire school system. And I think that that's true. A lot of people, socialization powerfully happens at school. Norms are laid down, gender roles. Uh, it's the site of a lot of violence for people, people that are not gender conforming or uh, people that are of sexual minorities, sexual minority status, which is actually placed and forced upon, you know, sexual minorities. Um, so I love that shift. So let's be thoughtful about that. And this is part of why we talk about teaching children, whether they themselves might be gender nonconforming or whatnot or explorative. We want them to have the languaging and the ability to support and understand others that are. 
Also, uh, still seeing articles talking about the possibility of a sex drought. Y'all, that is done, I'm sure. I'm hearing the opposite, where people are posting on dating and sex apps their vaccination status. People are ready to get back out there. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that much. There's going to be a little bit of a rebound effect, which I'm just seeing in general with the relaxing of wearing masks, which also side note for those that still feel as though they feel safer and protected wearing masks. Hey, continue to do so. Um, but I think we're going to be getting back to business otherwise in a lot of other ways. So that's great. And finally, I saw a really beautiful exploration of the topic of compliments. And it was an article whose thesis was people should be giving more compliments. And I thought there's something beautiful about that. Um, and it was looking at how people's uh, people's expectations about how a stranger will feel are often incorrect. People, and this is coming from the article, said people tend to misjudge how a stranger will react to a compliment, so they avoid sharing it. But in actuality, people appreciate receiving a compliment. And when they give one, it boosts their mood. Um, and uh, these findings only pertain to appropriate, respectful comments, right? So that's the key point. Like, comments aren't made, are, are not comments, uh, compliments, I should say, sorry. It's been a long clinical day. Compliments are not given so as to make someone feel unsafe, right? Uncomfortable, taken advantage of, right? Or eroticized if that's not what they're looking for. So compliments are, by definition, something that makes the person feel good, right? So we want to make sure that that's its intent, what we say, how we say it, and also honoring if someone does not feel comfortable being complimented. And as always, let's not compliment people's bodies because we're trying to get away from making our body tied to our worth or what makes us attractive. But also bigger than that, we don't know what someone's journey is with their body. I've heard people again say, look great, you lost weight. Well, they were actually trying to gain weight or they lost weight because they're sick or have a cancer diagnosis or a wasting disease. The opposite, you look great, you put on weight. Maybe they're trying to lose weight right? Maybe they put on weight as a result of an illness and the medication. We never know where someone's at in, in relationship to that entire topic. So let's back away from it being physicality-based or body-based compliments, but let's still lean in and give them. Bigger than that, it's also part of us just practicing being more caring and compassionate and thinking more about others. You know, we live in a very hyper-individualist, obsessed culture where we tend to only think about how we feel and how things impact us, often not considering others. So I love that idea of giving more compliments. I think that that'd be good for all of us, you know? So let's, let's lean into that. Um, all right, but coming up next, we're going to be talking about motherhood and parenting, uh, trying to get everyone involved, but also learning how to kind of step into it in a way where we're focusing more on a mental health and getting our needs met. Um, so stick around. We'll be doing that. And then, of course, as always, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So uh, got a thought, a comment, a question, a topic you want me to drop deeper into, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. But uh, yeah, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Stick around. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. We're talking about parenting and motherhood. It's interesting. It's become somewhat of a hot topic. There was last week and the week before, I was looking at a lot of different articles. I I don't quite know why, but they were zeroing in really... um, with a lot of specificity around, hey, not everyone wants to be a parent. And we talked about that here on Loveline, but I don't know what that momentum is about. I don't know why there's this wave of pressure to fulfill, you know, the heterocentric identity or to fulfill coupledom by, you know, being a parent or fulfill femininity or or femaleness as we've laid it out by being a parent. Like, I don't know why that is uh, so powerful in our culture right now, but I'm seeing a lot of celebrities talking more about uh, not wanting to be a parent in articles and I just thought, wow, what's some, you know, let's dive deeper into that. And then in doing my research um, for an article I'm writing, I was looking at people talking about, you know, the, the, the pandemic obviously really put a lot more responsibility on people, especially people that were, you know, parents and caregivers. And uh, women and mothers were saying that, like, they felt like at times they were doing double duty, triple duty. And, you know, just historically, we understand that it's very gendered where men are traditionally seen as the ones who will go to work, whether anyone likes it or not. And I'm trying to remind people that that doesn't have to be the case. You can both work part time. The woman can maybe go to the office. The man does get to stay home, be stay at home dad. Everyone gets asked for what they want. Let's not make assumptions. But uh, the mothers that were at home all day long, they're at home all day long, they're taking care of the house, they're taking care of the children, and then other children maybe return home from school or the father comes home and they're like, oh, now I have even more responsibility, more work to do, right? All while also sometimes working from home at the same time. Because we traditionally think that parenthood is something that's innate or biologic for women. All women are born innately knowing how to mother and fathers aren't. None of that's true. Children need caregivers. They it doesn't matter the gender. They need caregivers. They don't need to have a man in their life or a female in their life. They don't they just need caregivers. Caregivers that will support them in being raised in their authentic expression, whatever that is. Um, but but we do still put a certain load of pressure on women. So what are some of the ways that we can lean into sharing or shifting the expectations or the duties of a partner? How can we work with the partner, right? So the first thought that came up was just looking at expectations. What are the assumptions and expectations? Who says? Where did that come from? Are those aligned with your value system? You do, you are allowed to reject some of these expectations. It doesn't matter what your mom did. It doesn't matter what everyone or all your friends are doing. It doesn't matter what your partner wants. You as an individual and as a couple get to decide what's right for you. Like really hear me say that in terms of whatever topic we're talking about, you get to do things differently. You can say, we're not parenting like that, or we're not running our marriage or relationship like that, or we're not running our gender like that. You, you get to custom make it. In fact, you should do that. Who are you? What do you specifically need based on who you are, what you've been through, what your dreams are, and and what you know your current context is, right? So look at the expectations. Where do they come from, right? 
<clears throat> what do you expect in parenting? Ask each other, ask yourself, and where did you get that idea? And is that something you want to unlearn? Or is that something you want to play into and take forward? But it's a choice. These are roles. Roles are created and roles are sustained by us taking them forward. We don't have to. And there's something interesting that happens in heterosexual dynamics where when heterosexuals get together and get married, it doesn't matter how feminist their thinking is, how progressive their thinking is. It's something that often has people backsliding into traditional gender roles. And so you have to really know that. Upon getting married, but more importantly, upon becoming parents, that's when a lot of that really emerges. So that's where the work really needs to be done. So we can do this on the front end. We can do it during. But like really ask yourself that. Like what kind of parent do I want to be? And where did I get those ideas from? Do I want to unlearn that? Challenge that? Or do I want to take some of that forward, right? But it's important to take time to answer these so that we're not resenting, we're not blaming, there's no assumptions. It's just about bringing more consciousness into how we're moving through the world, why we're doing what we're doing, but also looking at the impact. You know, you might realize, I don't want to be home all day. Or you might realize, I don't want to be at the office all day. You might realize, I want to work part-time, be home part-time. And that's coming from the husband or the wife, because right now I'm using a straight example. The beauty of same-sex relationships is there are no expectations. The only time they might show up is when there's maybe a more masculine or butch and a more feminine, and then it kind of gets implemented sometimes. But generally, that's the beauty of same-sex relationships is there's no assumptions and there's no script. And it has a little bit more authenticity and a little bit more of a freedom-based movement through it. Uh, so then that moves us to the next piece. Try on different roles. Seriously. Rather than assuming, rather than just leaning out, rather than taking a back seat, try on new ways of being. Ask for something new. Shift it up. Be curious about what's possible, right? It's beneficial to look at what your role is, but also how it can limit you and hold you back. Society teaches and reinforces some really traditional ways of being, right? But that doesn't mean that that's always the right or the best thing for us or our children. And so step into that. I always say that even in terms of like relationality and sexuality, step into things that make you anxious. Try opposite gendered sexuality. Try same-sex sexuality. Try some more open, open styles. Try more maybe rigid styles. We really learn about who we are and what we want through stepping into that anxiety and that difference. But again, ask where all this comes from and try exploring some new things. And then it moves into the next piece. Talk it out. In a relationship, we should all be on the same side, the same side of us, the same side of the other, the same side of the relationship, the same side of the family, whatever whatever terminology makes most sense for you, talk about it. It's a work in progress. It's an active system, right? Um, no one wants to feel trapped and we never should have to feel trapped. And we don't necessarily have to do it the way that our partner wants it to be done. We all bring with us a lot of experience, right? We all bring with us a lot of ideas. Um, and if we look back at our own childhoods, just like when someone leaves a relationship or marriage, I always say to them, at some point, the work has to be looking at who you were in that relationship or marriage, who you want to be again, who you don't want to be again. We can do that with parenting. Who were we prior with other children of ours? Or how were we as a child with our parents? What, what elements of the way we were raised do we want to take forward? What are some of the elements of the way we were raised that we want to leave behind, right? Because we've all been birthed and we've all been raised. And we can learn a lot about that. What worked, what didn't work, what felt good, what didn't feel good. Because again, remember how we were raised either sets us up to reenact that or the opposite. It sets us up to always live in opposition to that because of how our, 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 our dynamics and situations were, right? It can push us away from or, or hold us closer to. But we want to be aware of that. Um, we got to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to keep talking about parenting and just parenting from a more uh, honest, but also a, a mental health perspective. So stick around, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about parenting, talking about parenting from a mental health perspective, 
also in doing so that we're talking about parenting from an authenticity perspective, not feeling as though we have to just do things the way they've always been done, right? So we're looking at our expectations. Where do they come from? Who says? Do we want to even honor them, right? We're allowed to do things differently our way. We're exploring new roles. What are some ways we can step outside of the rigid ways that we feel most comfortable, right? Or how can we challenge ourselves to try a new way of being that might not be as familiar, right? More presence, less presence, softer, more boundaried, whatever it might be. But trying out new roles, learning more about ourselves, right? Um, <clears throat> then being on the same team, sharing how we feel about this process, right? And now we're moving into know that whoever's if this is already a uh, parenting in progress, I guess, know that someone most likely might've stepped forward, often it's the woman, to be the primary caregiver, right? And it's scary then for the secondary partner, often the husband, to step in. It's scary for both. It's scary for the primary to let go a little bit, to let the second step in. You have to leave space for them to show up. And it's also scary for the secondary person to show up. Men do have the ability to be caregivers. They are all the time. It's often that they're not shown. They're not given the chance. And we, at any point, it's hard for men to sometimes be caregivers. It's not part of the masculine process. It should be, because it's human. But often it's feminized. It's seen as a feminine trait that's innate and biological. It's not true. There's a lot of women that are horrible mothers and aren't built for it. A lot of fathers that are far better. But it's about giving ourselves the opportunity to explore that. And that means that the mother has to back off and allow some space for the father to step in, to truly step in right? But the father has to be willing to slowly step in and not panic, to take it one step at a time to realize there's a different learning curve, right? Because we've gotten familiar with the way it's been, and now we're kind of shaking that up and challenging that, right? So for the parent who's been less involved to start taking more initiative, it's going to take time. So you have to have patience, right? You have to not seek perfection. With parenting, we can't use words like perfection, right? It's all about the good enough model, right? Good enough for everything. But in psychology, we talk a lot about good enough parenting. Um, we're not going to know all the nuances, right? Like what shoes they prefer, right? Um, how they like to brush their teeth, what foods they might like. Those are, there's a little bit of a learning curve, like I said. But it's all doable with time. But baby steps, right? Being given that space. Maybe you say, let me try being alone with the child or the children for the afternoon or for a few hours, right? Being left alone, being given that opportunity to step in to, and to really see what's possible. But we all have to be on the same side and the same team with that, Right? And also the primary partner, often it's the female, giving a little grace, you know? It's very tempting out of anxiety or control to want to step in, right? Correct, undermine, we don't want to do that. And also to think that your way is always right. But that's not true, right? If you're always jumping in, you're taking away from the experience of the secondary partner having their confidence enhanced and boosted. And with parenting, most things aren't right. There is no right. Usually it's just about preference. A lot of it is preference. A lot of child rearing is centered around the needs of the parents. It's not often even about what the child needs. And so it's about the parent's preference, how they want to see it sometimes. So know that you have to hold your ideas lightly, right? No one's necessarily right or wrong. And the secondary parent, the father, might actually help shed some light on what who the child is in ways you haven't been able to encounter or learn about, right? And then also just trusting the process. Um, if we can listen to our child and spend time with our child, they'll let us know what they need. But you gotta stick in there, the secondary parent, through that difficulty. You can't panic when it feels overwhelming or chaotic. It's gonna feel that way at times, right? But through the experience, we learn how to navigate that, right? How to ride that out. And all children can be completely different, right? So what works in one way with one child at one time might be different at another time. But the whole idea is that <clears throat> 
everyone wants to feel useful. Everyone wants to feel important. And I work with a lot of fathers that later in life look back really bummed out that they missed out on being part of their child's lives and vice versa. A lot of children saying my father was never around or showed up the only way that he knew how or the only way that he was allowed to. We're trying to break that cycle, that intergenerational transmission and that social transmission of fathers always being absent or fathers being expected to do the bare minimum. Like as long as you're there sometimes or you know, keep clothes on their back, well, that's great, that's good enough. No, we want better. We want some psychological and emotional presence. You know, uh, like I said in earlier segments, we're not missing family time anymore for other things like leave work on time, leave, don't work over the weekend, be your child's soccer game, be at your child's birthday party, be home for your anniversary. Like people and relationships and mental health mean more than work. They have to mean more than money and work. And maybe you're not going to be making as much then to get that new bathroom or the beach house. But material things are never the things that bring us happiness. We know that. It's experience, it's relationality, right? That's where mental health lies. It, what's the point of that beach house or that new bathroom if your mental health is tanking, right? And you're barely surviving and you're completely burnt out. So when you even are present, you're not able even to enjoy these things. I saw that often in my own family with my own father, heartbreaking. And I decided that as I was moving into the role to co-parent or to be a parent, if that happens, because historically I have been uh, somewhat part of a family dynamic where I did some co-parenting, but I have not been my own primary parent, um, I would want to do things differently and I definitely want to be more present. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break and when we come back, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. So if you've got a question for us, drop it in there. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide. Personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone will be back. All right, y'all, we are back and it is time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, um, I need some advice on what to do concerning my mentally ill mom. She's always struggled with depression and addiction due to undealt with childhood trauma, but seems well off for the past few years and is thriving. Her boyfriend's a little toxic, uh, which left her losing everything, including her home. Got to the point where she had been delusional and under psychosis and I had to admit her to the hospital. She's been in the psych ward for two weeks and we suspect she may have early dementia. She claims she's fine and that she doesn't need help, yet the episodes are frequent and it makes things difficult. She refuses to also take her medication. Thankfully, I've had a friend and I've had friend and family support, but I can't help but feel pressure for her mental health and safety once she's released. How can I help my mom? I know it sounds heavy and it's not a simple answer. Well, first off, my first entry point is worrying about you and your mental health. So I'm, make, I'm glad you have family and friend support. This shouldn't be something that is completely on your shoulders to go through and deal with alone. So please do, please do what I say every show. Please make sure you're still resting. Please make sure you are still finding time for joy and pleasure in your life. Please make sure you are still focusing on your self-care. Please do lean on friends and family members to help step in and take some accountability and responsibility for your mom and her needs as well, right? You need to delegate that. On your own, how do you convince her to follow her medication protocol and keep an eye on her? It's very difficult. I don't know. You might need many, it depends on your job. If you're in school or you're working a lot, you might need to get some government assistance. She might need to go in a home. I don't know the state of her 
um, dementia or delusions. Like I have so many diagnostic questions because I want to make sure she's taken care of and getting her needs met. I want to make sure you're not in over your head because for one individual to manage all of that based on whatever's going on in your life might be on, might be beyond what you can manage. You might need her to move in with you to keep an eye on her. That's an idea. Maybe you need to move in with her to keep an eye on her. Maybe you need to set up a schedule where different friends and family members take turns. Uh, basically, you need to talk to the prescribing physician, whoever the main point is the prescribing physician, I would bring the question to him based on her case and based on her diagnoses, what kind of care and support do you think she needs? So unfortunately, I'm not really able to help because I don't understand the specificities of what your environment's like and her environment, what's possible. But I'd go back to the doctor and say, hey, I'm really needing an aftercare plan. And if she was hospitalized, any ethical, uh, competent inpatient treatment center would give her an aftercare plan uh, that would come with a caseworker of some kind who's going to let her know the medications, medication protocol, and resources. She definitely should possibly be connected with a mental health provider weekly. That's someone else you can connect with and create a plan. So please look at the aftercare plan. And if there isn't one, contact the treatment center that had her and say, I need an aftercare plan. Also make contact with the prescribing physician and also get her uh, a therapist through her insurance company and, and make contact with them. And together you'll have what we call wraparound services. So you're going to need some help from the system. Absolutely. But my entry point is going to be with you, which is please make sure you are looking out for your mental health. Please make sure you are still getting your basic needs met. Please make sure you are still participating to the best you can in your life and still make sure you're making connections with uh, support. Because that's what happens sometimes, y'all. Um, people, unfortunately, stop taking care of themselves and over-worry about uh, put you know a lot of care and time and energy into someone else. But your mom needs you at your best, and you need you at your best. So please make sure you're participating fully in your own life. Um, but like I said, you need to talk to these care providers because I need a lot more information to help you. So circle back, let me know. You know, we'll kind of keep plugging away at it. Um, but that's what's really hard when there's people we care about that are struggling and it's a very amplified, complicated case. We often need to pull other people in, you know, and we even need to really jump up our own self-care during those difficult times. Keep looking out for ourselves. It's hard when people we care about are struggling and depends on your insurance, depends on where you live and what kind of resources are available in your town or your city, right? Finances matter, uh, your own stressors. It's tough stuff. You know, it really, really is. It's heartbreaking sometimes because we don't always have a perfect answer for everything, especially when cases are very um, complex or chronic, right? So, all right, y'all, that is that. Uh, DMs, as always, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past, episodes, uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Taking a little break. We'll be right back. Stick around and join us. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and we're talking about reasons why long-term couples break up. What does that mean? It means, hey, if you're in the midst of these things, resolve them. If you're single, document all this and say, these are the things I don't want to do or these are the things I want to be better about. That's the best part about relationality. At any point, we can show up differently and try to change things, make them better, right? Make ourselves better. But there are some things that are pretty common that we all bump into. The first one is unresolved issues. Look, we have this magic formula. It's not 100% dead on, but it's a little flexible. It's something like a third of marital issues can be completely solved and resolved. A third of them can be improved. And a third of them, that is just what it's going to be like for the two of you to be together. Not everything is fixable. Not everything is improvable. Some things are just what we're going to have to manage. To be together means we will always have to manage this. 
And that's not a bad thing. Every relationship will have a third of those unmanageable, unresolvable things. Why? Well, two complex people are coming together. And if you're in a truly present, um, intimate relationship, they're going to emerge. So it's about how you manage, not the complete resolution, but how you deal with these unresolved issues is what will allow it to exist or not exist. If it's a constantly an ongoing fight to determine who's right, or it's an ongoing fight for someone's version to, to be the guiding force, then we're not going to get anywhere. It's about saying it's okay that we see things differently, finding humor in it, finding value in it. And sometimes it's just allowing it, knowing that that's the topic that's always going to be hard for us to step into. And so we know how to deal with it better. And we know how to be really aware of ourselves when this topic is coming up because we know how hard it is right? It can actually be used to make you better, right? To feel more confident in our relationship. Look at how well we deal with this issue. I know we'll deal with other ones, right? Couples, especially long-term couples, need to be able to move through difficulties and stressors and challenges while being still part of the same team in order to have trust and confidence in their relationship and their partner. But if every time something comes up that's difficult, we are adversarial, and it's not us cooperatively together trying to resolve this, well then we're not gonna get very far. So remember that, it's kind of a dual statement in this one thing. How well do you manage unresolved issues that you can't do much about? And are you showing up through them as a team? We're on the same side. We don't need to be enemies through this, but often people step into me against you. Who's gonna be right? Who's gonna be wrong? Whose version or whose version of reality is gonna you know, run, you know, be the center point? Also, this is a really, 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 really harsh one. And this is one that becomes very difficult very early on when you are chronically dismissing them, right? And that's not just a matter of letting things be on autopilot, although that's part of it. Some people let their relationships just run on autopilot. I'm here, we're committed, we live together. Isn't that good enough, right? They think that that's all it is. But that means things get boring, they get stale, they stall, right? Um, You have to keep putting effort. Uh, When your partner is not seeing you, not not validating you, not participating in your life. I mean, that's one of the tips I give difficult couples. I'll say, start participating in each other's lives, right? Like when they're talking about their friends or their work, find a couple threads of those storylines and follow up on it. How did it wind up going with your boss? How did your friend's issue wind up getting resolved when you were playing basketball, talking it out? Like stay a part of their life, ask questions. That's how we feel seen. That's how we feel important. That's how we feel cared for. And if we don't, well, understandably, that relationship might fall apart. We might get those needs met through someone else or something else, leaving you out, shutting you out, right? So we have to stay a participant. Don't constantly dismiss. Don't constantly not participate in. Don't be aware of what's going on in their life. Like really stop for a second and, and answer this question. Do you know your partners, the names of your partner's three closest friends? Do you know anything about their three closest friends' lives? Do you know anything about what goes on at your partner's job, who they like, who they don't like, what they struggle with? If not, you're not involved enough. Do you know what your partner likes to do for self-care or hobbies? Like, these are things we should know. And if you don't, start to. Start to build in time for that intimacy building. Asking questions, more importantly, asking follow-up questions, clarifying questions. That's how we feel like someone's with us and participating in our life. We need that. We also need that from friends and family members. But in a romantic relationship, in the way we run them, where we're monogamous and we live together and all these different things, that is mandatory. Because we tend to reduce our lives down and get a lot of our needs met from this one person. I don't think that's the best way of doing it. But because most of us do, we need to make sure then that we are meeting that person's needs if we're gonna be that main resource for everything, right? Then we move in to ongoing mental health issues. Listen, when someone says to me on the fly, 
how do I know when I should leave a relationship or it's run its course? I say physical abuse. Actually, I say abuse of any kind, physical, financial, emotional, and undealt with mental health or addiction issues. You're allowed to struggle with your mental health and addiction as long as you're working on it and addressing it. But if you're not, you're not safe to be someone's partner. We have a right to at least expect that there's some work being done around it, right? And so that's another piece. Because sometimes what happens is the non-addict or the person who's higher functioning is expected to carry the weight of everything and to be the anchor as though they're not allowed to have an issue. What happens when that anchor or higher functioning or non-addict needs help themselves or struggling with their own mental health? That's when things collapse and fall apart. We can't put that much responsibility on one person. So us working on our mental health or our relationship to drugs or alcohol and addiction is part of us being caring towards our partner. We know that we're not going to put certain responsibilities on them for things we can or won't need within our own lives. Like that matters. That's a big deal. That's a big sign of care and investment or trust. Uh, We're going to take a little break and we'll come back. We're going to keep talking about these long-term deal breakers. Uh, You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide. Personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Stick around and we'll be back. All right, we're back and we're talking about deal breakers for long-term relationships. This is really deal breakers for every relationship, but it's not so much even about deal breakers. It's really about us understanding what's going to get in our way and calling them out ahead of time, identifying some of these things in ourselves and in our current relationships and saying, yikes, let me fix that, improve that. So, so far what we've talked about is we've talked about unresolved issues. They're going to be there. They're going to happen in all relationships. How you manage that? Do you manage that as a team? Do you manage it lovingly? Do you laugh and say, ah, here we are again? That will help this feel good and last longer. Chronic dismissal, when your partner's trying to engage you, are you present? Do you know what's going on in their life? Do you know their friends' names? Maybe what's going on in their friends' lives at work? Are you actually a participant or are you very distant and you don't know these things and you think that it's enough that you're just there or that you're married or that you live together? We we really fall on those labels and structures as though that's enough or that's all that matters. Um, And then we were just talking about whether or not your partner is actively or we as a partner are actively working on our mental health or our addiction issues, our relationship to drugs and alcohol and other things. Because if not, that's putting a lot of responsibility on the other partner to be higher functioning at all times, to never need us, to not struggle, right? And that's also us not letting ourselves be as available and present as we can be. And we want to work on those things. That's a sign of I care about me, I care about you, I care about us. I'm willing to do this for all of us. We're all, we're all impacted. It's not just something that exists in a vacuum, compartmentalized. It leaks out, right? That matters. So we want to be always working on all that, our mental health, everything. Um, life-changing experiences. So one of the number one things we see um, in terms of people getting sober is a lot of divorces and breakups because it's a new person with relationships different and other life-changing events the loss of a child or a loved one has led to many relationships falling apart both parties go inside they're not available they're heartbroken what do two heartbroken internalized really sad people how do they connect what do they connect around sometimes it's only that death or loss and that's exhausting we drift um financial changes ability and disability illness aging these are all major life events that really can challenge us to say how committed are you how invested in me are you will you be there with me through this going through these experiences right they realize that they want different things sometimes from their life or their partner they might say wow that was a near-death experience i realize how fragile death is i don't any longer want to move through the life in a relationship i don't like or a job that's not important to me and people make these major changes we have to be supportive of that we have to present in a way also that makes them want to include us in all of that right p 
people reevaluate their lives, including relationships, when something massive or a life-changing event happens? It's understandable, right? Really think about that. That's sometimes what's really motivating or galvanizing for someone to make these really important changes. It's, it becomes like a midlife breakthrough, right? Um, and then also things like betrayals. That ends a lot of relationships. There's so many different ways we can betray so- someone, show them that maybe we aren't the most caring or not worthy of trust. Um, check in on that. It's not, you know, betrayals aren't just cheating and infidelity, but some people think that that's like really all we're talking about. But there's other, there's financial betrayals, lying about finances, right? Um, Lying about other relationships or being friends with exes, all these different things that make people anxious. We want to work on building the kind of relationship where not only can our relationship handle these things, but we're approachable. We've shown our partner we can handle you coming to us with these frustrating or disappointing things. I'll be here with you through it, right? Um, another thing that gets in the way, not allowing your partner to grow. A lot of times we do things that say, stay the same. Cause if you grow, I got to grow. If you're different, I have to be different. Right. And so some people are loving partners and they say, make new friends, try different career things, right? Grow, change, shift, new hobbies, new habits. Um, that's a good sign, right? Expansion, space, allowing, but not everyone can tolerate that. Some people are panicked or made nervous by you're changing so much, you're different. Well, yeah, that's part of life. It's an over, it's a it's an ever-changing, static, open-ended thing. We're encountering new ideas, new people, new experiences. We grow. Um, also, conflict and values. That happens too. As we get older, life happens, children, careers, death, and we start to say, What's my values? What am I, what's my integrity? Right? How about also things like, what's my mission statement, you know? And those values can conflict. Someone gets more political, someone gets less political, right? Like all those things matter. Um, And then finally, just the level of affection, romance, sexuality. These are important resources that romantic couples reserve for each other in the way that our culture is set up. I wish we could have it more available for non-romantic partners, friends and whatnot. Some spaces and communities do that. But generally in most relationships, the more standardized ones, that's something we reserve for our romantic sexual partner. It's an outlet for us to connect, for us to stay close. Take advantage of that. And when we aren't, people feel distant. They feel like they're drifting. They feel not important. They don't feel attractive. Um, They don't feel valued. They don't feel as close. So also continue to check in on that. That's another sign that someone's important to us, right? When we really put energy and time into what's important to them, but also what's gonna be good for us. And that's why we're always talking about things like spending time with them, asking them questions about their life, following up on it, celebrating their milestones and achievements, you know, right? Um, Celebrating them, complimenting them, catching them doing things that make you happy, sharing that transparently. Being on their side, even when and especially when it, it puts you out or disappoints you, but you're still there because it was right for them, right? It was the best thing that they should do. That's, that's the beautiful act of care. Anything that's a challenge that you, that you go through for your relationship is a sign of trust. That's, that's how we build commitment. That's, that's what commitment is. Things are hard. You're still here. You're disappointed by me. You're still here. We had a rough week. You're still here. That's trust, that's commitment. So when things are going well, yeah, cool, but we're not really showing trust or commitment by being present when things are going well, because that's when it's easy. It doesn't mean as much. So when things are difficult and we're still present and we're still there, 
that's when we really show what we're made of and what this relationship can really expect in terms of longevity and sustainability, right? So weigh in on that. <clears throat> Think about that. Ask yourself these questions. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, are over. We are ChannelQ.com. So go check it out, and uh, we'll see you back. All right, we're back. And uh, before we uh, glide into some DMs, uh, I wanted to just spend a couple minutes just quickly blowing through a few things to think about in terms of our uh, mental health if you're struggling with depression or anxiety. So it's a little bit of an end of the week reminder. I think this is important. Um, first off, small steps. You know, we're letting ourselves be where we're at. It's an important reminder for us at all times in our lives, but especially when we're struggling with mental health issues, right? Especially in the current cultural political state. Um, baby steps. Be kind with yourself. Uh, that, that's always, that's always like the framework around which I want to wrap uh, us to wrap ourselves, like meet yourself where you're at. A lot of these mental health issues are common. That's one of the things I want to show to remind everyone that mental health isn't the absence of anxiety and depression and all of that. It's the ability to fully feel them and to process them, to carry them with us, right? We want to be able to feel things. Depression is a part of life. Even when medicated, the goal of medication isn't to never feel sad or lonely or depressed again. That's not possible. Right? That's part of the human experience. And if we remove what we think is bad, we remove the good too. Uh, medications don't just target one area of the brain. They, tamp they dampen down and tamper down everything. So remember that. Like The goal of mental health isn't to not ever feel what we claim to be our bad or negative emotions. No emotions are bad or negative. They just have different experiences. Some are harder for sure. Um, but we have to learn how to allow, right? So meet yourself where you're at. We don't want to add shame on top of whatever it is we're struggling with because we think we're not supposed to. Millions upon millions of people every day are going through some of these similar emotions, right? And every day, it's going to be a different experience of it. So it's important to take your mental health seriously and accept that where you are right now isn't where you'll always be. And that's that reminder that we don't know if things are going to get better or they're going to get worse, but they will change, right? And if we can, we don't want a bad moment to be a bad day or a bad day to be an entire bad week, right? So we wanna just keep checking in on ourselves, but letting ourselves be to where we are. The key to self-treatment for depression is to be open, to be accepting, and really loving towards ourselves and what we're going through. And if you need to sit in it, wallow in it, kick around, scream, you're allowed to. We don't wanna suppress them. Remember, like I said, mental health isn't the absence of these things. It's allowing it, sitting with it, welcoming it, learning from it, letting it be a companion of our journey. So we're not trying to suppress things. So if you need to feel it, feel it deeply, right? We're not trying to shove away or push down. So if you're having a down day, have it. Let yourself feel all those emotions, but we don't need to stay there. We don't need to carry it with us. Maybe we want to talk it out, do some art, right? Journal it, share it with our therapist, do some reading, but allow the ebbs and flows. That's part of it. And also, like I said, knowing that how we feel today or right now Everything does change. We have to be open to that. It's like I tell addicts with cravings. They always subside. They never stay forever. We have to just kind of ride that ride. That's part of the human experience. So even if you're unsuccessful today, you weren't able to get out of bed, you weren't able to get to work, um, took a mental health day, you can't accomplish your goals, remember that tomorrow's still an opportunity for things to maybe be different. Let's wait and see, right? But you have to give yourself love. You have to give yourself a little bit of that grace. Um, also assessing the parts instead of the whole. Often there's a part that we don't like of our day, our life, ourselves, and not just saying, I hate everything, I hate everyone, I hate myself. Let's, let's, let's understand that sometimes it's just aspects. Let's not catastrophize, let's not generalize, uh, let's not, as they say, throw the baby out with the 
bathwater. Is that what it says? Um, yeah, sometimes it's elements. So we don't want to overgeneralize. We don't want to dramatize. And sometimes we have to do what they say is uh, contrary action or doing the opposite. If it's saying stay in bed all day, sometimes we have to say, no, you know what? I'm going to throw my shoulders back and I'm going to still go through the day and do the errands I have to do and carry this with me and give it a chance for me to maybe work through it, leave it behind, or um, even get distracted. Because those you know, negative irrational voices aren't always on your side. They're not always in favor of what might be most helpful, right? Um, so know that. And also have attainable, realistic goals for yourself. When you're going through a difficult time, drop the bar down even more than maybe you normally do. Maybe you're not going to clean the whole house. You'll just take out the trash. Maybe you won't do all the laundry, but you'll sort it, right? Maybe you won't go through your entire email box, but you respond to the things that are more timely. Our, our to-do lists and our goals need to be reasonable based on who we are, the context of our life, and also our mental health. And then also reward yourself, you know, sometimes what we need is a little joy and pleasure or to pat ourselves on the back for what we were able to pull off or what we did do, you know. Um, sometimes routines help people, right? Structuring it. Um, and also always allowing the, pa the possibility for while still feeling what you're feeling, depressed, anxious, isolated, to maybe also still be able to carve out some space for some pleasure or joy, you know. Um, depression can be exhausting, can really weigh us down. Uh, it's okay to try to say, let me try to still lean into doing some of the things that I love or make me feel good, you know, hiking, painting, dancing, the gym, playing an instrument, reading, watching a movie, cooking. I don't know what's going to be right for you, but we don't always have to honor whatever it is that our mental health is telling us we can or cannot do, you know, get out, get some fresh air. That always helps. Going for a walk can help movement. Uh, just get, getting someone on the phone or texting someone. So I'm just putting on a movie and letting your mind drift. Like I talk about all the time, playing music and letting it kind of pull us up and out or drop down deeper. Just spending time around people and some things can be really good. Volunteer, get out of your house, get out of your mind. You know what I mean? Do a gratitude list. Make sure you're eating really nourishing foods and staying hydrated, going to bed on time. And finally, if all that's not working, get into some therapy. You know, it's a really powerful way to kind of get ourselves in check and to learn more, um, some better and more coping tools and skills. All right, we'll be back and we'll be gliding into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide. Personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we are back, and now it's time to glide back into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Kristen Loveline, can you please give some tips on how, oh my gosh, is this, I can't believe all these open relationship questions. Hey, Dr. Chris, can you give some tips on how to discuss open relationships? Sure. I've been trying to bring it up with my partner, but still a little afraid to say the wrong thing. Wow, I didn't know y'all were really into this. This is great. <laughs> All, all my monogamous listeners are like, oh, dear God, rolling their eyes. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. Working with people in different relational styles and configurations, it even gives tips to help monogamous couples, right? Um, so tips to talk about it. Well, first off, do your own homework and research. You know what I mean? We want to be an expert on ourselves. We want to understand what it is we're even requesting or talking about, right? Because your partner might be like, huh? So take some time. Maybe take days, months to really get there, but like read, read some books on open relationships, read some articles. Like what are the options based on what the options are? What is it that I think I want? What am I even really requesting? But be, be armed with your own education around what it is you're even trying to step into so that if your partner has some rudimentary questions, you have answers. And then you also have resources to say, Hey, check it out. Take some time. Think about it. Let me know. And that's my second tip. It's going to take time. It's not a one-off. This is sometimes an ongoing conversation where you've taken time, right? You've thought about it for a while. You're going to do some research for a while. Well, you got to let your partner do that too. You got to let them catch up just because you've been thinking about this for a while now. This can be maybe the first time it's entered their mind ever, right? Might even scare them. So you have to say to them, hey, it's a topic of conversation. It's not something I'm requesting for this weekend. And if you are, pump those brakes and chill. You know what I mean? They have to go through their process. So bring it up. Bring it in, do your homework, know what you're talking about, right? You don't have to be an expert, but just know what it is you are asking for yourself, right? What, is the, what do these words mean to you? Um, and then give them a chance to hear it and process it. They might be like, sounds great, let's do it. They might be like, I thought you'd never ask, I don't know. Um, but hold space for them to go through their process and then say, hey, can we talk about it again in a couple weeks? And then talk about it calmly. It's a request, it's not a demand, right? Listen to their thoughts and concerns, really listen. And then address it, because often it's about tweaking. They might say, yeah, but I need it this way, or yeah, I need it that way. Let them know it's not a permanent decision, it's something we try, it's something we tweak, it's something we learn from, right? It's not a deal breaker, it's something that you're curious about, but be open, do some education, take time, let them find some resources, problem solve, and then you try it, see how it goes. You could try it once, you could try it for a while. And then check in on each other. How's this going for you? How's this feeling? All relationships should be doing that, doing check-ins. You know, like how's this relationship been feeling for you? How are things working out for you? What do you need to change? What do you need to tweak? Even, mono even monogamous couples need to be doing that, please. How's monogamy been for the past couple months? Has it been working for you? How you've been successful at it? 
I know it's a really scary question to ask or be asked, like, how's that going for you? Because honesty comes out. I hate it. I've been not doing great. I've wanted to cheat. You know what I mean? But we want to be able to talk about these things. Ideally, you're in a relationship that is robust enough with enough trust and love that they could say that. Like, hey, monogamy has been really hard. I've been struggling. And then you can say, great, what do you need from me? And then this conversation evolves into an even more powerful, beautiful, transformative space, right? We can't be afraid of these questions and topics. So hold space for that. But I want everyone to be talking about these things. Hey, how's our relationship feel to you? How's our marriage feel? What do we need to change? How's the past year been? Do we need to decrease something, increase something, spend more time together, less time together? How do you feel about the way we've been? How do you feel about the kind of partner I've been? Here's how I feel about the kind of partner you've been. All calm, all loving, non-accusatory. We're just sharing transparently. It's a beautiful thing. That's why I love these topics. It gives us a chance to really bring ourselves up and in and to really talk through what's going on. So don't shy away from it ever, you know? And it's not about the right words. It's about the right position and presentation. You're calm, you're safe, you're open. There's no wrong answer. We're just here to express, to talk, to learn about each other. We're gonna use it to build intimacy, to get closer. If we can have this conversation, we can have other difficult conversations. And that's the kind of relationships we're trying to build. Really resilient, robust ones that have enough love, care, and trust and transparency that we can talk about anything. Because if you and this person can't talk about those things, then who can we talk to about these things? Your romantic partner should be someone you can talk to about your romantic life. Your sex partner should be the person you can talk to about your sexual life, right? Especially when they're monogamous. So do that work. That is our answer to that. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Whatever you're wondering about, someone else might be too. So put your questions in there or topics you want us to cover or clarify. And past episodes of Loveline, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they are. Y'all have an awesome weekend. We'll be back on Monday night, so join us then. But until then, take care of yourself and be kind to yourself and those around you. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.